Well, well, good morning, everyone. Uh, as Gary mentioned, instead of doing our sermon reflection today, we're going to start with this introduction to Revelation. And then next week, if you want to be a part of that, we'll have a Zoom class at this time. And then the sermon reflection will just continue here. But uh, uh, like Gary said, we, we want to make sure everybody can hear this. And I mean, man, it seems like we're definitely living in apocalyptic times, doesn't it? <laughs> this week makes it seem like the time is near. It's the end. Uh, and so Revelation seems appropriate, but I think it's important for us to understand how it might be appropriate in a time like this. Uh, you know, Revelation is probably one of the most misunderstood books in the Bible. It's uh, maybe the most intimidating or difficult. And so really today and next week even, we're really going to be talking mostly of, about what it, what it is and how it works instead of just jumping right into verse 1 like you could do with a lot of other books. I mean, there's, there's, even there's uh, misunderstandings about the name of the book. Uh, I had a professor who always said, uh, the name of the book is Revelation, not Revelations. There's only one, and he threatened to fail any students who would say Revelations. Uh, I can't do that, but I will call you out if you call it the wrong book. Uh, it also, I mean, it doesn't, we associate with things like the Antichrist or the rapture, but neither of those terms actually appear in the book, and the rapture is actually not scriptural at all. So we want to see how I believe this book is relevant to us as 21st century American Christians, but to see in what way. Uh, and so that's what we're going to look at some this morning. Uh, we're going to look at uh, three different aspects uh, of, of this book in our introduction these, these couple weeks. We won't get to all of this today. Uh, we're going to talk about what is the message of Revelation, look at the themes of it. And then we'll talk about how, okay, so then what's, how is this message presented, right? What are the different genres that this book is working in? And then finally, how do we understand the message? How do we interpret it and make sense of it in our day? So we start with, okay, what's the message of, of this book? What are the themes? What's the purpose of it? And in general, before we, before we get to all these different themes, I would say, don't miss the forest for the trees, Right? So often with a book like this, and it has all these bizarre images, we focus on little, little things and try and figure out what they mean instead of looking at the big picture. Right? It's, it's meant to be more of a big picture sort of thing instead of uh, working through every single detail, although we'll, we'll try and do that as much as we can where it's relevant. In general, I, I would say it's important we realize that Revelation is not a timetable of the end times. That's usually the way it's, it's understood, right? But look at the name of the book. It's not called prediction. It's called revelation. It's not about predicting when things are going to happen. It's about uh, revealing what God is doing, right? It's not about when God will act, but about the fact that God will act, that we can trust God is going to do something. Uh, and, how, and it reminds us, or it shows us how we should act in the meantime. Uh, the, the title I'm giving this study is Victory Unveiled. Right? That's what the word apocalypse actually means. Apocalypse is just the Greek word for revelation. And so it's about pulling back the curtain, seeing what's really going on, uh, and seeing what God is doing, seeing what evil is really up to. You know, and I mentioned this is a really <laughs> difficult book, and sometimes we're hesitant to study it. I always remember in youth group, Whenever our youth minister would ask, okay, what do you want to study? We would always say, oh, dude, let's do Revelation. And he'd say, no, we're not going to try and get into that. And his summary of the book was two words, God wins. And I think that's certainly true, right? We all believe that, and that, that is a central theme. Uh, but I think we can dig a little deeper and ask, okay, how does God win? 
What does God's victory actually look like? Uh, God's victory may not look like the kind of victories we would expect. Uh, If you know anything about the life of Jesus, you know how Jesus died. That shouldn't be too surprising to us, and yet we still come to this book and expect a victory that very much looks like our sort of modern victories. Uh, And so we're going to see how God wins. Part of that is uh, looking at uh, our first theme here, the reality of and the defeat of evil. Uh, evil is very present in the book of Revelation, right? It talks about Babylon the Great as this symbol of of all this human evil. Uh, It's talking about the empire. In their day, it was the Roman Empire, but it's it's bigger than that, and we'll see how that works. But just saying evil is very real. It has this very real effect on on the world, on, on Christians, on people trying to be faithful. But it's trying to help us see that there's more going on behind the scenes. Right? That's that apocalyptic pulling back the veil, pulling back the curtain. We probably know the famous verse in Ephesians 6, where Paul says, Our battle is not against flesh and blood. And so Revelation reveals, okay, what is it exactly that we're fighting? And how is this, the spiritual realm influencing the earthly realm? We, have to, we kind of have to hold both together and see how they intermingle. If you put too much emphasis just on the spiritual, then you kind of give a pass to earthly evil. And if you only focus on earthly evil, well, you end up demonizing them and ignoring uh, some deeper things that are going on. And so Revelation helps us see how those, those fit together. Uh, another central, I think, central scriptural idea is that when you expose evil, that takes away its power, or at least it should. And so by saying, yeah, Babylon is a beast, uh, the the empire is evil, uh, it's calling it what it is. And when it's saying that it's good, right, the Roman Empire said they were bringing peace to the world. And when it's showing showing all the ways here in Revelation that, no, this is not peace, uh, that that can help us understand, yeah, they're not who they say they are. Uh, Another idea with this uh, defeating of evil is, it's showing that God is going to address it, right? God is going to judge evil. God is going to defeat evil. You could even argue that God has to if God is a God of justice and goodness. Like I said, how God defeats evil, I think that's the big question we'll look at as we go through this series. Uh, a lot of it depends on how we interpret these battle scenes and these scenes that seem to be this you know, massive worldwide violence. Uh, I, I think when you see those in a symbolic way, like pretty much everything in this book, that it's not just describing you know, literal things that are going to happen, and yet it is saying that God is going to act, God is going to defeat evil. Evil doesn't get the final word, God does. So along with that is the second theme of conquering and suffering. It seemed like they're opposites, but uh, not according to uh, Revelation. There's, as I kind of mentioned, this dual purpose of revealing and challenging or confirming and comforting. Right? So this idea that Rome was a beast. If uh, you kind of like the Roman Empire, if it was making things work out well for you, you were profiting off of that, it's challenging you in that, that place. But if you're in a place where you're being persecuted or uh, you're struggling because of, of the evil of the empire, it's comforting to, to know that... Uh, you know, it is what it is, and God is going to do something about it. So it provides hope and a challenge. You know, it's very clear in Revelation that there had been some persecution. Uh, it directly talks about people who had been martyred, about churches who were, who were struggling. And yet, as, as we'll talk about in more detail, 
we know it wasn't until uh, a bit later that there was this massive empire-wide persecution of Christians. It happened just kind of in little pockets uh, at this point when the book was probably written. And so a common problem that was happening then and happened later and still happens today, it's not just persecution, it's also capitulation, where Christians are allying themselves with the powers of empire and think that that's fine. They think that that's not really any, uh, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't go against uh, their faith. Uh, Revelation is calling that out too and saying if you're aligned with these powers, you're aligned with a beast, it's not going to go well for you. You need to, to look at where you're really at. Uh, and so there's this, but for those who are suffering, it's a word of comfort. But at the same time, it's also saying, I think, that suffering is not inherently evil. Now, I don't like suffering. Uh, I do everything in my power to be comfortable at every moment of my life, <laughs> like, like many of us do. Um, but suffering in and of itself is not evil. It may come from an evil source, but sometimes it's just part of life, and it's hard to say where it really comes from. And the reason we know that is because of Jesus. Christ uh, so often the main way that Jesus is talked about or described in the book of Revelation is as the slaughtered lamb, right? And so Jesus, the slaughtered lamb, is the model of Christian victory. This is what it looks like to conquer. It's conquering through suffering, not from suffering, right? Jesus died on a cross, so we should probably assume that we're not going to have a life free of suffering as his followers. And if we're going to conquer it's probably not going to be by inflicting suffering on other people because that's not what Jesus did. And I don't think that's what Jesus does. You know, it, it, it we'll talk about him being the same yesterday, today, and forever, uh, who was and is and is to come. That's a way of saying Jesus is consistent. If his victory over evil on the cross was through suffering instead of just killing his enemies, then we have to assume that that is always the way that Christ is going to work. And I think Revelation actually does point to that story. And so if we believe that Christ is the one through whom we can conquer, uh, we see this third theme of worship and allegiance. Right? Uh, and this is something Gary talked about in his sermon today, right? that if Christ is the Messiah, if Christ is king, and he deserves our worship. Uh, God is sovereign, right? this idea that we see God seated on the throne throughout the book. Uh, Christ is victor- victorious. Uh, over all these evil things. And so there's throughout the book, there's over and over this language of praise and worship. Uh, chapters 4 and 5 are probably the, the best picture of this. It's the throne room scene. Uh, if you were listening to those songs during our break, uh, those words are straight from Revelation. There's a lot of uh, praise music that comes from this book, right? If, if you just kind of have this general idea of Revelation being this book about destruction in the end times, you wouldn't think that's a place you would go to get worship songs, but this is a huge part of it. Uh, and, and so it's reminding them, reminding us that God is the one who deserves our worship, not the beast, not Babylon. And that seems like an obvious thing, right? I think Gary said this as well, that, well, I'm not singing worship songs to the empire, or to Satan. But worship is really about allegiance, right? Who, not just who you say is your king, but who uh, you're following in your day-to-day life. Uh, we know whose allegiance we, who, who we're giving allegiance to by how we live, uh, by whose methods we use. If we're trying to defeat evil, are we trying to conquer it 
like the beast itself? Are we trying to use evil to overcome evil? It doesn't tend to work out. Or are we using the methods of Christ? So if, if we're worshiping him, if our allegiance is to Christ, then he has to shape how uh, we do the things that we do. So those are our themes. Uh, the reality in, of and defeat of evil, conquering and suffering, and worship and allegiance. So if that's the message, how is the message presented? So we're going to talk a little bit about the genre or genres of the book of Revelation. So we see this in uh, the first few verses here. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. Uh, He made it known, sending his angel to his servant John, who testified to the word of God, to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written, for the time is near. So we're going to talk about uh, Revelation as first an apocalypse. Right? That's, as I said, that's what the word Revelation means. Uh, it, it, or the word apocalypse means revelation. Uh, it's, it's just back and forth, analogous. And obviously when we hear the word apocalypse, a lot of things come to mind. Right? As I mentioned, these seem like we're in apocalyptic days. And I would say that's not wrong just not in the way that we tend to think of it, right? Uh, if, if you're going to a movie and someone describes it as apocalyptic, what, it's about the end of the world, it's, it's zombies attacking, or there's been a nuclear strike, and people are trying to rebuild after that. That's not really what apocalypse means, and yet, I would say even this past year has been very apocalyptic because it's been very revelatory about what is really going on, about where the church is really at, uh, about where our country is really at. Uh, it's, it's trying to show, here's what's happening. Right? Pulling back the curtain, it helps us correct this, this distorted worldview that uh, we may be seeing things in the wrong way. It's trying to reveal the truth. But the, the weird thing about these uh, apocalypses, uh, these books that are written in this style, they do it with this kind of bizarre imagery, or they cre- they're, but they're trying to create this new symbolic world. Right? Because they're trying to help us look at the world in a different way. We're used to looking at it in, in what we see uh, in, in our everyday normal life. And so we kind of have to be broken out of that way of looking at things to really understand what is going on. Um, so uh, Revelation is not the only apocalyptic book uh, that was written. Or it's, it's part of a genre that we're just not very familiar with. Right? Uh, genre... I mean, to go back a little bit is, is really important for understanding any uh, work, anything we read or watch. Right? If you had never, if you didn't know there was such a thing as science fiction and you went and saw a sci-fi movie, you'd be really confused, wondering, you know, why do people think that there are, are you know, spaceships and <laughs> laser swords and all these things, right? So to know the genre tells you how this works and how to understand it. And since we're not familiar with the genre of apocalypse, that's why so often people, I think, make mistakes and take things too literally or in the, literally in the wrong way. And, and so we're seeing uh, the way this works is it's in these symbolic visions, and there's this dualism, this idea of good and evil are very distinct. It's, it's often very black and white. Uh, there's the present age and the age to come. Uh, not everywhere in Scripture is that black and white, uh, because we know that it's not always that evil, uh, easy to see the difference between good and evil, uh, but an apocalypse is trying to do that. That's what Revelation, see how it sees things. Uh, 
And so it's very, uh, in a sense, pessimistic and optimistic. Uh, It's saying things are bad, right? (laughs) That's all this suffering that comes in these types of books. It's seeing everything that's wrong with the world, which, uh, again, maybe is why this seems pretty relevant right now. Uh, And and we can't fix it, right? The only thing that can fix it is if God will act. But the good news, the reason there's optimism, is an apocalypse is also saying God will act. Right? We can't just save ourselves, but we can trust that God is, is working right now to bring salvation. Uh, you know, anytime we talk about eschatology, which is just kind of the, the nerd word for looking at the end of things, it's talking about where things are going. Right? It's saying this story that we're a part of is going somewhere. Right? Things aren't just happening. History is not just one thing after another. Uh, it's a story that's unfolding, and God is going to bring it to the right conclusion, um, even if other actors are taking it in an, <laughs> the wrong way in the meantime. Um, and so it's giving us a glimpse of where it's going, especially towards the end of the book, which I do think are pointing towards the future, uh, God's final victory. When we see that, okay, if that's where it's going, then I know how to live along the way. The end of the world, as we often call it in an apocalypse, is something to look forward to because the end of the world is not the destruction of the earth. It's the destruction of these harmful and oppressive systems that are at work on the earth right now. Uh, so, uh, again, you, do, you can't find as much if you go to Jewish literature between uh, the time of the Old and New Testament, some of the later books in the Old Testament. That's where you see some of this apocalyptic stuff. Daniel has some of this, uh, Mark chapter 13, Matthew 24, they're apocalyptic. So there's plenty of examples of this, but Revelation is kind of the main one. Uh, but we have to see that it's, it's part of a bigger genre. It's not just all by itself, and that can help us understand how to read it. So, Revelation's a, an apocalypse. It's also a prophecy. Uh, this is stated clearly in the book multiple times. You can see all the, the references there if you want to look those up. Uh, but John, the, the, the writer, sees himself as a prophet. Um, as I've talked about many times, prophecy is not just telling the future. That tends to be the way that we, we think of prophecy. It's, it's making predictions. Here's what's going to happen. And that, that is an element of it oftentimes. But it, it's, it's talking about here's what God is up to. Here's the direction that God is, is taking this story. Here's what God cares about. Uh, and so we have to ask ourselves, prophecy asks us, am I in line with that? If, if this is where the story is going, am I going in that direction? And, and what do I think is going to happen if I'm going in that direction and continue to? Uh, and so John, as uh, seeing himself as a prophet, uh, he's picking up on a lot of prophetic images from the Old Testament. One of the really interesting things about this book is there's no actual quotations of the Old Testament And yet, uh, according to at least one commentator, 278 of 404 verses allude to the Old Testament somehow. So he kind of assumes that you know a lot of these Old Testament prophecies, and he can just use the language and pick it up and assume you'll you'll know what he's talking about there. Uh, And a final thing about all uh, prophecy, prophetic books, is that they comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. The idea that if you're afflicted, if you're in uh, this place of suffering, if you're down, prophecy can lift you up. It promises restoration. It promises God is going to make things right. 
But at the same time, if, if you're comfortable with the way that the world is working right now, if, if there's some way that you're benefiting from the oppression that's going on, you're in trouble, right? And, and Revelation is very much uh, going to have that message and warn people. Uh, so we have to take these warnings seriously, but also trust that God is, is trying to do what's right. It's not just God being angry and wanting to beat up on, on us or anyone. It's God trying to make things right and, and putting the question to us of which side we're on. Are we going to be on the side of uh, the right side of history and the right side of the future, or are we going to stay on the wrong side? All right, let me get a drink, and then we'll look at our, our third genre here. So the third aspect of, of the genre of Revelation is that it's a letter. And this is probably the one that gets ignored the most, but I think can be the most important for us to properly understand how to interpret it. Uh, a phrase that I've used often and will use again with any letter in Scripture is that it was not written to us, but it is written for us. Right? We are reading somebody else's mail, which these days is a, you know, a federal crime, uh, but I think we're encouraged to do so because it's in Scripture. Uh, I mean, this should be obvious to us, right? The first, uh, go to chapters, first few chapters of this book, we see that it's a letter to seven churches in specific places in Asia in the first century. Uh, it opens and it closes like a letter, just like Paul's and other people's do in the New Testament. And so as bizarre as it gets in the middle, in some sense it's still uh, sharing some of those same features, and so if it was written to these Christians in the first century, uh, that's really important for how we understand it. Uh, that's essential for us to understand its meaning. Uh, it had to make sense to its first hearers. Um, so any interpretation, really of anything in Revelation that, that ignores those first listeners, those first readers, if your interpretation does that, it's invalid. Um, now, of course, some things are looking to the future, and it's not that it makes perfect sense, but I think this is a good corrective when people will, for example, talk about the number of the beast as a microchip or something like that. That would make no sense to the first century original audience, and so that can't be really what that is about. Um, and... You know, it, it is hard for us to, to avoid this tendency, right? Because Revelation so often says, the time is near, right? We heard that even there in the, those first few verses. Um, but we have to understand uh, there has to be some sense in which the time is near applies to us, it applies in the first century, and it applies to every Christian in the 2,000 years in between. Uh, and so it, it, maybe it's a different perspective on time is what we need. Right? When we know that this is a letter, it helps us avoid this idea that it's just giving us this timetable, this kind of, I think, self-centered idea that, well, when God, when Jesus comes back, obviously it's going to be in my lifetime because I'm the most important person, and what I'm going through is more important than anything else that's happened in history. Uh, yes, important events are happening right now, Important events have happened before, and it actually is all relevant to this, this book. Um, and so we're going to see next week, we'll uh, continue in this introduction, we'll look a little more specifically of, okay, what are different methods of interpreting this book, and uh, where do some go wrong, and how can we avoid some of those tendencies? 
But to, to close this morning, uh, I've got a quote here that kind of brings together how we understand all these, these genres. It says, As an apocalypse, Revelation reveals what must soon take place. As a prophecy, it testifies to the word of God and Jesus Christ. As a letter, it addresses seven churches in the Roman province of Asia. I think when we can bring those together, we can see how this book, this bizarre book with all its crazy symbols, is relevant to us right here and right now. It takes a little more work, and uh, I'm not saying I have every single answer about what Revelation is talking about, but I think as we look at this, it can give us hope. It can give us encouragement, and it can give us a challenge as we look at the world today and we wonder what God is doing. We wonder how God can bring a victory. I think this book can give us a word. And so uh, if you're interested, I hope you'll be a part of it uh, in the coming Sundays as we continue to go through this. Uh, But thank you for joining us this morning. Let me close us with a word of prayer. God, we... uh, Things are so difficult these days, it seems. But help us in these moments to trust that you are a God who is at work. That you are a God who cares about justice, that cares about what's right. Help us to trust that you are a God who is going to act and make things right. As we look at this book that you have handed down to us through your servants, I pray that as, as we work through it, as we struggle to understand it, it does give us the encouragement we need, that it gives us the tools we need to be your people right here and right now, that we be people who worship and give allegiance to you alone, to no other power. We thank you for Jesus, the slaughtered lamb, who gives us the victory now, in the past, and in the future. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thanks, everyone. Uh, We'll see you next time. Have a great Sunday.